Hello, I'm Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today we are talking UCC. First, a few disclaimers. Disclaimer 1. This is just an overview. You are always responsible for understanding the case law that supports any rule of law. Disclaimer number 2. Always remember you take the professor, not the course. So if by some chance you are listening to this and I am not your professor, keep in mind that I may emphasize and even include or not include areas of the law that are different from your professor. Okay, let's talk about UCC formation. Unlike the common law, the code is very broad with respect to formation of a contract. Basically, as long as the parties act like there's a contract and a remedy can be fashioned for breach of that contract, the courts will pretty much find the existence of a contract between the parties. The laxness of the code can be first be seen in 2201 Statute of Frauds. You remember the Statute of Frauds requires certain contracts to be in writing. The contracts that must be in writing can be said by the mnemonic, my legs. Marriage, years, land, executorship, goods, suretyship. Let's talk about goods. We're talking about the UCC. According to 2201, which is the provision dealing with the statute of frauds, a contract for the sale of goods must be in writing, signed by the party against whom enforcement is being sought, even if it omits or misstates terms. What this basically means is that in court, a plaintiff can show the existence of a contract for a good worth $500 or more if the party she is suing has signed a writing sufficient to show a contract. 22011 does not state that the contract cannot be said to exist if both parties fail to sign it. Rather, under 22011, if a party is bringing an action, he or she does not have to first establish that a contract exists if the party can present a writing signed by the party against whom enforcement is being sought, typically the defendant. 22012 makes it even easier to prove the existence of a contract absent a formal writing. Under subsection 2 of 2201, merchants if within a reasonable time a confirmatory memo is sent and the party receiving it has reason to know of its contents, then the signed memo is enforceable against the party receiving it unless the party receiving it objects within 10 days of its receipt. So subsection 2 says that the party against whom enforcement is being sought is still held to being a party to the contract even if he or she does not sign the contract as long as the party has reason to know of what the contract says and does not object to it. 22013 has even more instances where the statute of fraud is satisfied absent a writing. These include where the goods are specially manufactured. And here I always like to bring up my Spinal Tap exception. In the movie This is Spinal Tap, an aging rock band orders a set designer to create Stonehenge. The band wants an 18-foot set, but on a napkin they write the number 18 and then two apostrophes, which means 18 inches. When the set designer delivers the 18-inch Stonehenge, the rock group wants to reject it. They wanted the 18-foot one. But this is a specially manufactured good. So that's 22013A, goods that are specially manufactured, satisfy the statute of frauds. They show the existence of a contract between the parties. Another instance in where the parties can show a contract existed even if there's no signed writing against whom enforcement is being sought. A party against whom enforcement is being sought admits in pleadings, testimony, or otherwise in court that there is a contract. But keep in mind that a contract that is proven through such pleadings, etc., is not enforceable on the amount stated in the pleadings. 22013 provides 
that if payment has been made or received for a good, the payment is sufficient to satisfy the statute of frauds. So that's the statute of frauds. And this discussion should give you a sense of how pro-contract formation the code really is. The code will try to create a contract whenever possible. If a party can satisfy 2201, that party is saved from proving there was a contract between the parties, and the court will recognize it. But as we'll see in a second, a court can still find a contract between the parties, even if a writing or any of the exceptions don't exist. 2204 through 2206 discuss offer and acceptance. According to 2204, called formation in general, a contract for sale may be made in any manner sufficient to show agreement, including conduct by both parties. So if the parties act like there's a contract, the code says a contract can exist. Keep in mind, 2204 says any manner sufficient to show agreement, including conduct. So that is further proof that 2201 statute of frauds does not require the existence of a writing to make a contract. Section 2204 states that a contract can be formed even if the moment of its making can't be determined. This section also rejects the common law meaning of the mines rule. And finally, Section 2204, Subsection 3 says a contract can be made even if the parties leave open one or more terms so long as a reasonably certain basis for giving a remedy exists. So that means that the parties can act like there's a contract in order to form a contract, and the parties can have a contract that omits terms, and in that case, the court will insert the particular terms that are missing. 2205 concerns firm offers. Firm offers are the common law counterpart of option contracts. Both firm offers and option contracts require the offeror to keep open an offer and give the offeree time to accept. Common law option contracts require proof of consideration to keep the offer open. After all, the offeror is giving up something of value, the right to make the offer to someone else, which is a valuable consideration. The code abandons the requirement of consideration in the instance where the offeror agrees to keep the offer open. According to the code, an offer is firm where there is a writing signed by a merchant. If the merchant has signed the firm offer, then the offer stays open for the time stated on the signed document, and if no time is stated for a reasonable amount of time, but no longer than three months. A couple things to note here. First, 2205 is another one of those code provisions that has merchant exceptions. Remember, the code applies to the sale of goods, but certain sections make it applicable where a merchant is involved. This is one of those sections. The second thing to think about is the type of good will determine the reasonableness of the length of time that the offer remains open. An offer for strawberries may stay open only for a week because strawberries can become overripe while an offer for bricks can stay open for months. But no matter what the good, a firm offer can never stay open for more than three months. So that is 2205, firm offers. Firm offers under the UCC do not require consideration. Option contracts, which are common law, do require consideration. Moving ahead, section 2206 discusses offer and acceptance in the formation of contracts. According to 2206, an offer can invite acceptance in any manner and in any medium reasonable. In other words, an offer can be accepted by return promise or by performance. If an offer is accepted by shipment, then the shipment is considered performance and acceptance. What happens when the seller ships and by shipping he accepts, but he ships non-conforming goods? In this instance, the shipment is both an acceptance and a breach. For example, 
If a buyer orders 100 red apples from Apples R Us to be delivered on June 1st, and instead of responding, Apples R Us just sends the apples, then Apples R Us has accepted through performance. But if the performance requires 100 red apples, and Apples R Us sends, say, 50 red apples and 50 green apples, then its acceptance is also a breach, and Apples R Us must pay damages for that breach. The code contemplates the instance where acceptance is also a breach because the seller sent nonconforming goods. According to 22062, a shipment of nonconforming goods is now a counteroffer and not a breach if, and only if, the seller notifies the buyer that what he is sending is an accommodation. So if before the date of performance is due, Apples R Us calls buyer and says, hey, I only have red and green apples, but I don't have 100 red apples, so I'm going to send you some red and some green. I think that will work for you. That shipment, in effect, becomes a counteroffer that the offeree can accept. I call that provision 22062 the good guy provision because it allows the seller to send nonconforming goods to accommodate the buyer when the seller can't meet the buyer's needs. Finally, 2206 deals with lapse of an offer. According to 22063, where the buyer requests acceptance by performance, the offer is deemed to have lapsed after a reasonable amount of time. And again, reasonableness is measured with respect to the goods. So 2204, 2205, 2206 all apply to offer and acceptance. But there's one more provision that's worth noting and important to talk about, and that is 2207, the Battle of the Forms. The Battle of the Forms is a rejection of the common law last shot rule and the common law mirror image rule. It's called the Battle of the Forms because it contemplates the situation where two parties, mostly merchants, send their forms, their forms kind of fly back and forth, maybe pass in the mail, and these forms either have different terms or additional terms. So 2207 applies in the instance where there is an agreement, but that one party adds additional terms or the parties have conflicting terms. Before we move forward, keep in mind that generally speaking, 2207 applies to all buyers and sellers. There is, however, a provision of 2207 exclusive to merchants. 2207 has three sections. Let's look at them one at a time. First, UCC 22071 applies to all buyers and sellers, as I said, not just merchants. According to 22071, an acceptance is effective even if it contains additional terms or terms different to the offer. Thus, acceptance is made expressly conditional on those terms. So consider this hypothetical. Stop and Shop sends a request to Apples R Us saying, would like to buy 100 red apples, delivery on June 1st. Apples R Us sends a form back saying, we'll sell you 100 red apples, delivery on June 1st, cash on delivery. Well, that's a contract under the code, but it has an additional term. The existence of that additional term under the UCC 2207 is fine. We'll talk about what to do with it when we get to 22072. Now, let me change the hypothetical for you. Stop and Shop says to Apples R Us, we'll buy 100 red apples, delivery June 1st. Any additional terms must be specifically assented to. And then Apples R Us responds, we'll sell 100 red apples, delivery June 1st, cash on demand. Well, now in this situation, according to 22071, the cash on demand additional term 
is not applicable. That's because stop and shop included the proviso unless acceptance is made expressly conditional on these terms. So where that language appears in the contract, it bars additional terms from being accepted. All right, let's return to the situation where Stop and Shop says to Apples R Us, we'll buy 100 red apples, delivery June 1st, and Apples R Us responds, we'll send 100 red apples, delivery June 1st, cash on delivery. So that's the type of situation where there's an additional term. And 22072 tells us what to do with additional terms. And 22072 is that provision that includes a merchant exception. First, it's important to think about 22072 and what happens with additional terms between either two non-merchants or a merchant and a non-merchant. If one of the parties is not a merchant, then the additional terms become proposals to the contract and the parties can negotiate it out. So if I, as a law professor, say to you as a student, I will sell you my car for $1,000 cash on delivery, and then you returning, you say, I will buy your car for $1,000 cash on delivery, but you must deliver it to my house. Well, there's an additional term. Neither of us are merchants, and that delivery term becomes a proposal to the contract. However, things change if we're both merchants. If we are both merchants, then the additional terms become part of the contract. So, if Stop and Shop says, I will buy 100 apples, delivery June 1st, and then Apples R Us says, we will send you 100 apples, delivery June 1st, cash on delivery, well, both parties are merchants, so cash on delivery becomes part of the contract. Additional terms between merchants become part of the contract, unless... And there are three instances in which the additional terms do not become part of the contract. First, if the offer has the proviso language. In other words, if the offer expressly limits acceptance to the terms of the offer. Second, if the term, the additional term, materially alters the contract, and we'll talk about that in a second. Or third, if notification of objective to the term has been given. So a quick word about materially alter. Materially alter means creates an undue hardship or surprise. Whether a party is surprised by a term requires an objective and a subjective evaluation. So a party could not claim surprise by a term that required it to reimburse the seller for taxes, since even though the party was surprised, industry custom required the reimbursement. The court said that the party was not surprised since it was part of the industry and that was the custom of that industry. Undue hardship means truly hard to perform, and pure economic loss is not sufficient to prove undue hardship. So 22072 says what to do with additional terms. 22073, in contrast, tells us what to do with different terms, terms that conflict. According to 22073, the different terms knock each other out, and the court will impose a reasonable term in its stead. Note that if a term contradicts, the court will knock the term out and the rest of the contract the parties agreed to will remain. However, if the terms are so different that a contract can't be fashioned from them, but the parties act like there is a contract, then the courts will fashion a contract with the UCC or other reasonable terms. So that's 2207, the Battle of the Forms. And those are the provisions of contract formation. When evaluating a contest in the UCC, make sure to first consider whether the contract has been formed. 
Is there a writing? If not, have the parties acted like there's a contract? And can there be some kind of remedy fashioned from their conduct? In our next podcast, we will discuss the terms of a UCC contract, but keep in mind when determining the terms of a contract, the party's terms will always control, but in the case of differing or conflicting terms, you should consider 2207. So that's UCC formation. Hope it helps, and we'll see you next time on Law to Fact.